What's good, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Diamond Talk. Today, we're going to be taking on the Giants all-time draft. And we have, you know, former Giants fan, no longer Giants fan, Nick on the show. He's going to be he's going to be drafting uh, the Say Hey Kid Rob or the Say Hey Rob. If you read his uh, his a title on this thing. Uh, and then you also have Murphy coming back, man. How you guys doing? Doing pretty good, man. Getting ready to do this uh, Giants draft and uh, pick from their pool of really great players, at least, you know, for the first few rounds. I'm ready to showcase the team that could absolutely contend with the Yankees for the best in the history of the game. And in talking with Murphy before this, I'm I'm not going to steal his soul, but I'm going to come really close and I'm excited for it. Mm, fighting words already. Oh, they've been already been said. Oh, yeah. Murphy, I'm, getting ha- I'm getting ready. I've been excited. I, I took last year off from the Giants for uh, many reasons, but it's it's been nice to kind of relive the glory days that I used to have when I was a kid and, and growing up in, in Candlestick. Do you feel like your soul is safe right now? I'm, Nick knows that uh, as long as one person is left off this list, we'll, we'll be fine eventually. <laughs> All right, man. Look, so so let's get to it. And before we start, as always, we get... We get a special intro from by Nick, and I have a feeling that he uh, took this one to, to, to a special level. I, I just I just glanced at it, and the first word I saw was dogtard. So this is gonna this is gonna be a pretty good one. Let me get you guys started. Uh, the Giants were founded as the New York Gotham's in 80, 1883 and became the Giants in eighteen eighty six. I wonder if Batman was a cleanup hitter. Ah. The Giants moved to San Francisco in nineteen fifty seven. They have the most wins in American sports history with 11,165 wins and were the first team in the world to win 10,000 games. Now, that's pretty impressive. The Giants are known for their rivalry with the Dog Turds, but their first and biggest rivalry in the beginning of the franchise was, was the New York Yankees, where they faced seven times in the World Series. The rivalry was so intense, Lou Gehrig stated in his Luckiest Man in the World speech, uh, would give my right arm to beat the Giants. I mean, that's pretty hard to do in baseball if you give up any arms. Uh, the Giants have many memorable moments in the history of the game, including the shot heard around the world by Bobby Thompson and the catch by Willie Mays. The Giants have won eight World Series, 23 NL pennants. They have 66 Hall of Famers, the most of any team. 24 of them donned the Giants logo on their plaque. They have six Hall of Fame announcers, 11 Hall of Fame managers. They have had 12 MVPs, three Cy Youngs, five Rookie of the Years, 43 Gold Glovers, and 34 Silver Sluggers. And those numbers at the end there, they're approximate. Um, we weren't able to, to key down these numbers as far as uh, Gold Glovers and Silver Sluggers as we do the other teams. There, there's a long history in, in San Francisco and, and New York with the Giants, so uh, uh, it's, it's a little weird. But, man, guys, I'll, I'll ask Murphy, man, what do you feel about the intro? you think that gives them uh, justice on that? Yeah, I think it does a lot of justice. You know, uh, you know, Lou Gehrig might have wished he could take his arm off to beat the Giants, but Dave Dravecki actually threw his arm out trying to beat the Expos. So it makes a lot of sense. I like where Nick's gone with it. And, you know, if anybody knows their baseball, in particular the Giants, it's Nick. There you go. And and that's kind of an amazing stat, man, with the 10,000 wins. That's that's kind of – that's special. That, that, that is really special. I mean, granted, have, have they been around forever? Absolutely. But still, man. And guys, uh, before we get to, to our draft, I want to ask you about some of the comments that Chipper Jones had made over the weekend here. And, you know, Chipper Jones pretty much took the stance that the players, that the fans don't want to hear that the players aren't getting paid. They want 
the players to be out in the field and pretty much playing the games essentially, man. And and I'll go. I'll start off with you, Rob. When you first heard the the comments, man, what what did you think? Yeah, so um, I wasn't able to look at uh, Chipper's comments completely. I'm I'm assuming they still have to do with this whole uh, proposal between the MOB and the players. Um, in terms of the fans wanting to see the players, you know, play baseball, that's all fine and dandy. I mean, as a baseball fan, I definitely want to see the players um, out there too. Um, I just think that as I talked before, the fans are looking at it at a very surface level. Um, they look at it from a standpoint of, you know, millionaires just uh, deciding not to play uh, due to a pay cut. But I, I think it's deeper than that. You know, I think I read a, a notification today um, that said that the there, the certain percentage of players who are the highest paid players in the league um, under the, the current proposal would, could see potentially pay cuts of 60%. Um, and, you know, while that doesn't, it doesn't seem like a lot because, you know, a lot of the fans will say, oh, they're millionaires. Um, but hey, you're a worker. You know, you're a worker. Just because you're a baseball player doesn't mean that you're you're not an employee of, of someone and you agree to a certain type of pay. Um, like we did, like we discussed before, the players had already agreed to a pay cut. Now they're just trying to force additional pay cuts on them um, when they had already agreed to a pay cut to begin with. So I, I'm still of the mindset that I side with the players in this whole situation. Yeah, I tend to take the same mindset. And my thing is, Everyone keeps mentioning the millionaires, the guys making an annual salary of over a million. And if you're make, if you're a guy making salary in the low, you know, let's say you make a mil, maybe two million, you're seeing less than a million at that point. You know what I mean? And then let's take it to guys making the league minimum who are in the 565,000s and the 700,000s. Like, yes, that's a lot of money to, to me and you, but, you know, when you take into consideration, you're going to split that in half, you're going to split that even more. Which, even though their amount will stay prorated, it's still a lot of money that they're keeping off the table, man. And, and Nick, man, what are your thoughts on this? It just needs to be played out. I'm kind of tired of talking about it. Not that we talk about it a whole lot on here, but just, you know, in general, there's so many things that the average American cannot understand. And, I mean, Chipper's right. It's going to be less optimistic. He's, you know, we've got to be less optimistic. I don't think there's going to be a season. I was just talking to Murphy about it. I don't see how they come together, especially because we're going into contract negotiations for the new CBA. And whether they think so or not, if the players give up so much, too much now, the owners are going to own them, for lack of a better word, going into that negotiation. And I know Chipper's on the player's side, but he's, he's played his games. Like, you know, they, I want to give him a lot of credit, but I, I just can't. Because he's already played his games. He's not in the situation. He can't really say what it's like to be in the situation because he's not there. He's made his money. He's played his games. He's in the Hall of Fame. Whatever he says, it's very easy to sit back and say that and not really have any repercussions from it. But I don't see a season happening this year. I think Major League Baseball just needs to – they really need to take this year and scrap it and say, let's use this downtime to negotiate. Like, let's see what you really want. We're going to have plenty of downtime. Let's figure out this new CBA right now instead of there being a possible strike. We're already losing baseball this year, at least for some portion. So let's take the time and be productive with it, and let's figure this out so we just can hit the ground running when all this is over. Absolutely. You mentioned two huge things. The first thing I'm going to touch on is the players. Like, Look, if you're retired, you know what I mean? And, and the reason why, why this gets at me so much is because one of my least favorite Yankees has nonstop 
been trying to bash the players for this. And this is Mark Teixeira. He's been going on ESPN saying the, the players pretty much got to stop whining and they got to just play because it's what the fans want and stuff like that. And I hate that take because, look, not for nothing, Mark Teixeira, but you're not playing. Even when you were playing, there's a lot of things that went in your favor as far as money-wise. You made a lot of money in your career, man. You know I mean, that's not that's not every player. You, you were lucky enough to have a good career and stuff like that. So that, that's one side of it is that if you're a retired player, like you're, you're done. You've made your money. You, you have nothing to worry about. So stop whining. And, you know, the other the big part to take away is the is the CBA and the fact that these guys are negotiating next year. And it's, it's huge, man. We, you know, baseball is one of the few sports where that revenue split isn't 50 50. And that's something that the players union Definitely want to keep in place. You know, it keeps guys like Bryce Harper getting paid that, you know, astronomical, you know, what was it, 330 over 10 years. Like, that's because how hard the, the MLB Players Union fights for them. So it's, it's definitely something that they don't want to backtrack on, especially now to a point where the owners hold as much power as they already do, man. Murphy, do you have anything to say on this? Yeah, fuck Chipper Jones. Straight up. Fuck Chipper Jones and the horse he ran on and fuck Mark Teixeira. Both of these motherfuckers are clowning because for them to sit here and complain about the players taking a 60 to 80% pay cut, are you kidding me? You got billionaire owners that can't foot the bill and you're asking these millionaire players to pay for it? It's ridiculous. And Chipper Jones, specifically, the most overrated first ballot steroid user in the history of the Hall of Fame. Damn, we started out hot right now. I like it. Br- bring it, bring in the energy, man. That was <laughs> look, look, man, that's that's another thing too, man. We we got to keep it, keep things in perspective. You know, you, you're right, man. These owners are, in some cases, billionaires. You know what I mean? They can they can definitely flip the bill. Yes, they'll make a lot less profit this year, but it, you know, trust me, I I'd rather the players get be, get paid in this situation. Anyway, with that with that being said, man, let's, let's get started here because that was I'm, I'm energized after that, man. And today, Murph, you also got the first pick in, in our draft, so you can you can keep on going with it. Oh yeah, there's there's no. I think if anybody tuned into the Pirates, they know exactly who I'm going with. Barry Bonds, the goat, the greatest that's ever lived. I mean, Nick and I spend hours poring over this man's statistics, and every single one of them are more dumbfounding than the next one. Days, I mean, weeks, months. Oh my God! The man has more intentional walks than most people have walks in their career. Man has more intentional walks in one season than a lot of people get in their entire seasons nowadays. Like the man is just a machine. There's nothing that can't be said about this guy that has not already been said. He's amazing. First overall pick. Yo, time out, Murphy. Yo, how are you gonna how are you gonna get that Chipper Jones for steroids, and then your first pick be Barry Bonds? Do you want to know why? Because it Chipper, see, the problem with Chipper is Chipper gets all the love, all the affection. Barry Bonds was real as fuck about everything that he did, and he knew he was the greatest player that's ever lived. Chipper Jones is a fantastic player. I got nothing against Chipper personally, but all of these Atlanta fans, Yankees fans, everybody else that wants to hate on Barry Bonds for taking steroids, look around, because Chipper is the poster boy of the type of player that was on steroids during that era. Are you kidding me? A switch hitter that barely made enough to get into the Hall of Fame doesn't have 3,000 hits, doesn't have 500 home runs, and he's in there anyways? Steroid user. I don't care what anybody tells me. And that's why Barry Bonds is the greatest, because even with steroids, cleared everybody with room to spare and was blackballed from the last two seasons of his playing career. So, yes, as much as I hate Chipper Jones, 
it's not so much about the steroids. It's about the, the mentality that comes with it. And Chipper hasn't directly come out and called anybody out, but it's the Atlanta fans that love to, to just get behind Chipper and hate on Barry Bonds. You hate on Barry Bonds because you can't be Barry Bonds. Oh, man, y'all love it. This is, this is going to be a good episode, yo. Nick, Nick how do you follow that up, man? Who's going to be your first pick? Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wait till Rob goes since he has the second pick. Oh, man, Rob, that's he just—he keeps trying to take my picks. Man, you're giving me your pick, man. He was doing good for a minute. I apologize, man. Rob, who are you taking? Yeah, you, you know I was going to jump in here because I'm definitely not letting Nick get the second pick in this draft. Um, because yo, Chris is on his spicy shit right now, and like, I'm I'm totally all about it. Um, I agree with his his general take on Barry Bonds. I think that the Giants as an organization. You only have two realistic choices to go number one. And I will say this. If I was picking who the most dominant player in the history of the Giants franchise is, it's easily Barry Bonds because he was probably the most dominant player in all of baseball, not just the Giants franchise. But in this particular case, and even though I have the number two pick, this would be my number one pick if I had the first overall selection, simply because I I believe that this man encompasses the entire franchise as a whole and is the guy that I generally tend to lean on when we have a, you know, a real, who is the goat discussion. And I'm going to go Willie Mays second overall. Willie Mays, man. A great pick, especially, you know, we were talking about it in the goat, the goat episode. He's one of the first people you probably hear about when you start talking baseball, you know, I, you know, at least to me, my daughter is Babe Ruth, Willie Mays in the outfield. You know, we uh, Nick mentioned the catch in his, in his intro. And I think that's, one of the first or second images you see as a as a baseball fan, especially when you when you watch Giants games, they, they always bring it back every every few couple weeks. Yeah, yeah, I think um, you know, like I said, if you if you're breaking down numbers, I mean, you don't get more dominant than than Barry. Um, and while you can have the argument in terms of May's numbers, you know, he definitely had more longevity than Barry in in a, in a Giants uniform. Uh, I think Barry was only there for 14 seasons, and you have May's there for for. 20-ish. Um, but yeah, he, I mean, he put up the numbers. He's a franchise leader in war, games played, runs scored, hits, home runs, total bases, doubles. He's second in RBIs, third in walks, third in stolen bases. I mean, he's he's an overall just a really complete player. One of the best defenders the game of baseball has ever seen. Um, you know, 12 gold gloves, 20 time, 20 plus time all-star, two MVPs. I mean, and his stretch, you know, he's, he's over a 300 hitter, almost a 1,000 OPS. Uh, 40 home runs for I think he averaged like 40 home runs for like 13 13 straight seasons um, yeah I, I think he's he would have been my pick number one I just think he's better as an overall player not gonna um, downplay Bonds' dominance but yeah I'm, I'm comfortable going with May's number two all right man and I'm comfortable with it too yo Nick not now you finally get your pick as much as I'm not a Giants fan anymore I'm still a Giants fan so I'm just gonna take a minute to make sure all the listeners realize that we just went Barry Bonds and Willie Mays as the first two picks. There's no other team out there that can put a legitimate case for two of the greatest of all time back-to-back. And I would have gone Mays only because I think Barry Bonds is a more dominant player, and seeing him, I got to see it myself. I saw it live multiple times. But as far as I would want Willie Mays as my number one pick as well. And since I knew I wasn't getting either one of those, I got to load up my first two picks – and since there's 55 Hall of Fame players with the Giants, there's going to be a lot of Hall of Famers on this. We literally can all three have a team full of Hall of Famers 
and not even use all the Hall of Famers that the Giants have. But my first pick, if you're a Giants fan, there's three guys in the history of the Giants that solidify the Giants. And when you think about them, it's going to be Willie Mays, it's going to be Barry Bonds, and it's going to be Willie McCovey, the other Willie M. And this dude is just a beast, played his entire career with, I believe, already six or seven knee surgeries deep before he even started. 2,256 games played for the Giants, 469 home runs, a career 900 OPS, and, I mean, just a stud. And what's more than Willie McCovey than the player is him as a person. The Giants have a Willie Mack Award, and it goes to the player on the team that did the most for the community. And the reason that happens is because Willie McCovey gave his retirement life to the Giants. He was at him and Willie Mays both. They're at every home game they could make besides health. They're at every special event. When the Giants have their sleepover, uh, which they do one or two times a year during the summer, you go to a game and then you sleep on the field. The first three years of that, back in 2000, I think, four, five, and six, Willie McCovey was there and he stayed with the fans. I actually got to meet him on the field. And he didn't sleep on the field, but he slept in the stadium in one of the suites. And the dude just, he loves the game. He loves San Francisco. And there's not a single Giants fan out there that does not have Willie McCovey in their top three. So I'm going to grab Willie McCovey. And for my number two pick, I'm going to stick with, I believe, the second most games played ever as a Giant. He's from the New York Times, but 511 home runs, 304 career batting average, 949 career OPS, over 1,800 RBIs and over 2,000 runs. Or sorry, 1,800 runs and 1,800 RBIs. He's almost one for one there. I'm going to put Mr. Mel Ott in my starting lineup. Mel Ott. Not bad, not bad at all. Yeah, no, Mel Ott, um, what's called? I had him as my first third baseman coming off, and he plays other positions too. He was just the, the guy I thought would be the first third baseman off. And you mentioned McCovey, man. Anytime you have a whole cove named after you, you probably did some pretty good stuff, man. For sure. And I've got Mel Ott is all over the diamond. Second base, third base, outfield. More than likely, he is going to be my right fielder because that's where he played most of his games for the Giants. But we'll see how all this shakes out. There's only one guy in the Giants' history that I am going to flip my stuff if he gets picked. And it's it's a not a, it's not a well-known name guy, so I will be shocked. But if my dude gets picked out of all the Giants players in history, he's the only guy I'm going to lose my stuff over. I'm sure I'm sure uh, Robert Murphy are furiously looking through a note right now, making sure they pick that so they can see you flip out. Uh, yo, Rob, you got your second pick, dude. Yeah, so uh, – yeah, so for my uh, second pick, um, before I make the second pick, I just wanted to make a, a quick comment just to see if if Nick somewhat agrees um, because it kind of popped into my head a little bit when I was doing my research on these players. But you know how you have the saying, um, you know, like if you're talking about a certain player, you're talking about him, you know, like, oh, he's a poor man's, you know, version of this player. To me, Mel Ott statistically um, not necessarily talking about, uh, you know, so much defense, but offensively in terms of his peak with the Giants franchise, to me, Mel Ott was a middle-class man's Willie Mays. Like his stats compare very well with Willie Mays statistically. Um, he also had the same uh, kind of level of longevity. I do believe he spent more than 20 years with the Giants franchise. Um, once again, not saying that he's as good as Willie Mays, but I think you'd be really surprised when you look at the numbers, just how good Mel Ott was, because he's not a player who's necessarily put in that top tier of 
you know, guys that you're thinking about the greatest players of all time. He might be in that second tier, um, but once you dig real deep, his numbers are 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 really incredible. Um, no, you're right. So I, just want- I mean, like like Mel I, like if you look at it, he's he's got 120 less games, and he's only got 120 less runs, but he's got one more RBI. He's the all-time RBI. Yeah, one more RBI guys. than Mays. Yep. Yep. He's got 400. No, sorry, 300 more walks and 600 less strikeouts, and he has the same average, a better on-base percentage. He's only two points behind in OPS. So you're dead on right there. I mean, if you don't know Mel Ott, just think Willie Mays, but white and just like, just slightly less. <laughs> yeah, no, because it, it was a thought that that literally crossed my mind when I was looking at the players. I was like, if if anyone was doing this draft and you miss out on getting Willie Mays, you might as well grab Mel Ott because it's essentially just a smidge less of a player, but still a really great player to go with. Um, so I, I just wanted to say that just because I thought the Mel Ott uh, pick was, was really uh, good. Um, but for my next pick, I'm going to go and start tackling the pitching, and I'm just going to take Christy Mathewson off the board. You're very lucky that starting pitching is so deep with the Giants because he was going to be my next pick. Yeah, it, it, <laughs> it's very deep um, with the Giants, definitely right there. I just think, you know, and we had talked about this a little before. Like I was overall, I'm trying to stay away from all those players you know, when you're talking 1890s, early 1900s, just because their stats are, it's a different era of baseball. So their stats are not going to compare to a lot of the the more, you know, if you're talking 1960s to now um, type of players. But yeah, I think Christy Matthewson, it has to be the pick here. He's he's probably locked in as the best uh, starting pitcher in, in the entire franchise's history. Um, I looked at his overall peak and his peak. I mean, you're essentially talking about a decade here um, from 1903 to 1913, just to see how ridiculous his numbers were, he won over 300 games. He averaged 28 wins a season. He had a 1.91 ERA in that entire decade. He threw over 320 complete games. He averaged over 320 innings pitch per season. Um, and he had a 1.02 whip. Um, also, he had like 175, 76 strikeouts to like 55 walks um, in all those seasons. So he put together a decade of dominance. Um, you know, anytime you win over 300 games and you lost just barely over 100, um, I think that's definitely a solid selection to go with. Absolutely, man. And he had four four seasons where he was top 20 in MVP voting, essentially. His ERA numbers are absolutely insane. We're talking about seasons where he's consistently under a three. And se- seasons even better than that, where he's at like 128, 114, 199. And that's consistent, too. So Christy Matthewson, great pick. Murph, you got two back-to-backs here. Yeah, I'm going to uh, just take a minute and and kind of just remind everybody kind of a a piece that Nick said about McCovey. McCovey doesn't get the credit that he gets because he was dealing with a lot of the knee stuff that uh, some special guy down in New York was dealing with that everybody that's a Yankees fan wants to talk about. But McCovey was the OG. Um, But and I'm going to take one of his teammates not not in the second round, but in the at the start of the third here. But my my second round pick is actually going to be uh, the elder Bonds. Now this is going to be a pick that's going to throw a lot of people off that don't know anything about the San Francisco Giants era of baseball. Bobby Bonds was Barry Bonds before Barry Bonds was Barry Bonds. You asked me a little bit earlier, why is Barry okay? Why am I okay with Barry but not okay with Chipper? Barry did every single thing that he did because of the way the media and and in general baseball treated his father, Bobby Bonds. Bobby Bonds was the five-tool player. 
there's a reason why Willie Mays was Bobby Bonds' best friend and is the godfather of Barry Bonds. Because Bobby Bonds had all the tools to do everything. The one knock on Barry, the only thing that keeps Barry from being a five-tool player is he had an arm like a noodle. Bobby Bonds, not that problem. Bobby Bonds could throw a guy out from, from new Pac-Bell Park. Or I'm sorry, it's not Pac-Bell anymore. It's not AT&T. <laughs> I don't know what they're changing it to anymore. I haven't been paying attention to here, everybody. But he could throw it from the warning track down in Triple's Alley, throw somebody out with 60 feet left to spare. That's how strong of an arm Bobby Bonds had. I might be a little over the top here, but Bobby Bonds is the truth. The second guy I'm taking, now I'm going to put him I'm going to put him at a different different place here. I'm going to put him at the hot corner, but I'm going to take the baby bull Orlando Cepeda. He was mostly known as a first base outfielder and he was uh the guy that came up uh when McCovey was over at first base and they needed to find a place for him. So they stuck him out in the left, but he did play a couple of games at third base, which is where he's going to play for me. There you go, man. Very sneaky move with Cepeda at third. Not not something that, you know, you kind of definitely had to do some deep research on that one. I think my favorite thing is that you got both bonds. That That's pretty cool. You got father-son playing the outfield. And, you know, another another thing to talk about when we talk about Barry Bonds is you can tell the genetics are there, man. Like, his father, you mentioned that his father was a great player. You know what I mean? So to, to, to be Barry Bonds and have Bobby Bonds and Willie Mays pretty much raise you and teach you baseball, you're going to be pretty good, essentially. You know what I mean? You got the genes. You got the, them teaching you exactly what they did to be as successful as they were. So so, so not not bad at all, man. Yo, Rob, who's going to be your third pick? Damn, so he just had to take Cepeda right there. Um, it always hurts when I lose one of my Puerto Ricans. Cepeda was definitely a name that I was looking at. Um, I think he's only like one of five or one of six Puerto Rican Hall of Famers. So definitely a good a good name to go with there. Um, but for my next pick, you know, I, I, I did make sure that I made all the research that I, that I could make for, for this draft. So for my next pick, I'm just going to lock down a position here. It is nowhere near a guy that you would be thinking of when you think all time giants, um, simply because we're only going to go with one season here, but just like we did last episode, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to take Roger Hornsby second base. <laughs> so no, that, that's like. <laughs> that's like your uh what's it called that's like your ace in the hole man like oh shit i don't know who to take at second base roger horns he probably played for them he, look he has to be because i think he played like for three or four uh franchises but yo he spent one season in uh the giants franchise 155 games 133 runs scored 205 hits 26 home runs 125 rbis he hit 361 and finished with a 1035 ops um I don't believe any other second baseman in the history of the Giants franchise has even come close to duplicating that stat line. Um, so I'm definitely good with Hornsby right here at second. Out of boy, man. And the way you make him sound, he's like the baby Bron Bron of the MLB during that time. So Yeah, so he was dominant with any franchise he went to, realistically. There you go, man. Yo, Nick, you got your third and fourth pick. I am so happy. I told Chris last week when we were talking about this, I knew I was going McCovey and Ott, and I was going back on the swing around, and I was hoping for my guys. And Matthewson got taken, but I don't know if I was going to take him here. I'm going to go starting pitching, and I'm going to take the two guys left that I think are clear-cut the best. I'm going to take Mr. Juan Marichal as a Hall of Famer. That Thank gives you. me three of three for Hall of Famers. And if you don't know about Juan Marichal, I'm not I'm not going to spoil the surprise. He's just he's just a goat. I mean, he's 
He's one of the best pitchers to ever pitch. Um, I believe 11 time All Star, got MVP votes most most of his years in the bigs. Um, led the league in batter's face twice, led the league in whip two times, uh, three times had a whip under one, which is incredible. Uh, led the league in complete games twice, won 20 games four years, five years with the Giants. I mean, he's just a stud and he's just got the most beautiful motion. It's, it looks like he's going to fall over backwards. It's like he's trying to touch the ball to the mound before he throws it. And then all of a sudden, if you talk to hitters that played back then and you listen to stories, it's like all of a sudden a fastball that you couldn't see came from his foot. And that's what made him so difficult but so beautiful to watch. I obviously didn't see him live, but as a Giants fan, there's there's certain videos you see over and over again in highlights. And Juan Marichal is one of those and just an amazing baseball player. And again, like William McCovey, just an amazing man. His charities to his home nation and to the United States, but to the Dominican Republic in specific, he donated so much of his time, money, and efforts over there, um, very much like a Roberto Clemente as far as a humanitarian to some of the foreign countries. Um, my, next, my next pick is very modern. Arguably, not going to argue, he's the greatest postseason pitcher in the history of Major League Baseball. No question about it. Get, he should have gotten two rings for 2014. I'm going to throw Madison Bumgarner in my starting staff. And for those of you who say he's just a postseason pitcher, no, he's not. Peep game. Hold on one second. Let me get these stat line up. Um, he is, with his regular season stats with the Giants, a 1.11 whip. That's bananas. That's extremely good. A 235 average against. That's better than Christy Mathewson. That's better than Juan Marichal. So he's, he's just a stud. Uh, a 313 ERA, which in today's game, is you might as well be a two because pitchers just don't have a three one three ERA. He does not get enough credit for his regular season performances. He's almost at a one strikeout per inning pitch. And honestly, I just I mean I'm getting a little frustrated with his antics the last few years with Puig and whatnot. But man, I would love to see that dude uh, brawl with Puig. I think he's country strong. I think he would definitely mess Puig up. But I got Madison Bumgarner as my number two pitcher, and I'm I'm really happy about that because once we get to the postseason, it's lights out for whoever we're playing. You didn't even mention his pop at the plate, man. He's, he's, he's a home run hitter, too, in the National League. I'm glad no, he stayed no, there no, for that reason. There's certain things that don't have to be said. Like, I'm winning this <laughs> draft, and Madison Bumner's got pop with the bat. <laughs> there you go, man. And he's also a great rodeo uh, guy. Uh, what was his name? I forgot his name in the, on the the rodeo thing. But, that, yeah, no, good, like, I, don't remember, I don't know what that trivia question is. But, yes, he has his own rodeo. <laughs> Yeah, man, and the one the guy I want to expand a little bit on is Juan Marichal, man. You mentioned his ties to the Dominican Republic. He's another guy who a lot of the great pitchers that came after him from Latin America, the Pedro Martinez's, the Hernandez brothers from Cuba, guys like that, you know what I mean, El Duque, he, they took a lot of what Juan Marichal had, and they try to, you know, obviously they adjust a little bit, but essentially that's what they try to do in their career. And it, it worked out amazingly for those guys, and, you know, Juan Marichal was kind of like, well, the originators of that, man. Yo, Rob, who's your fourth pick? All right, so for my next pick, uh, let me see. I got a couple different options here. Um, you know, for my next pick, I'm going to I'm gonna take a risk here, and I'm going to take a guy who I don't know if he would have been taken this early, but I just want to make sure I lock him up just because he's one of my favorite guys to watch. Um, and I'm going to take the freak, Tim Linscombe. Oh! <laughs> 
<laughs> oh, man. Ah, yeah, we're losing it. We're losing it. Big time Timmy Jim. <laughs> I got to take Tim Linscombe, man. Uh, yeah. I mean, what can what can we say about Tim Lincecum? I mean, he was a he was a two time Cy Young Award winner. Um, his in terms of his peak in, in San Francisco, it, it was probably like a four year period: two point eight one ERA, um, one point one WHIP. Um, he was probably one of the the most dominant pitchers in in baseball for for that little four year period that he had. And he was also just one of the best pitchers in baseball to watch. Like hit, you know, his delivery alone um, made people tune in. Um, it's the reason why they call him the freak. And yeah, I, I, to be honest, this is just uh, he he is very good statistically in terms of of the Giants history. Um, but this is straight up not like probably one of the most. This is one of my favorite guy picks that I've made in any of these drafts, simply because he was definitely one of my favorite pitchers to watch um, when he was out there um, on top of his game. Yeah, man, Tim Lincecum was definitely fun to watch. And he came he came during a time where. The MLB and, like, video games, MLB 2K, they were doing a lot of cool promotional stuff. And he was on the cover of, uh, I'll say, like, 2K9 or 2K10 or something like that. Back yeah, I think it was 2K9. Making, yeah, they're still making baseball games, and he was absolutely filthy. He was one of the first people where you had, like, the, the million-dollar, like, perfect game challenge and stuff like that. Just really fun guy to watch, man. One, one of the better uh, ESPN commercials, too. Yo, Murph, I, I, I feel like that was you going crazy. You got your fourth or fifth picks now. Yeah, first off, you son of a bitch. (laughs) So I just want to take a minute because I thought I was going to get Timmy because Timmy is one of my favorite players to ever put on a Giants uniform. Timmy was the guy to take over for Barry Bonds when he left, and that, that whole franchise was in tatters. He gave us an identity. The identity that we have in, in San Francisco right now stems all the way back to Timmy coming up through that franchise. And he's, he's really the, the player, the face of the, of the franchise that rebuilt the Giants into the kind of perennial postseason appearances that they had in, in those 2010s. So I'm, I'm, I need a minute, but I think I'm okay. I think I'm okay. <laughs> but I'm going to take my first overall player, my favorite player that has ever put on the jersey, I'm gonna take him now so that I don't have this problem later. But I'm gonna Here take. Here we go. I'm gonna take the thrill. Now, Will Clark, for me, was everything when I was a kid because the man played the game the way you should play the game. His first at bat, mind you, first at bat, first pitch, he was facing off against one we of the greatest. We don't, we don't need the story. One of the greatest pitchers in baseball history, and Nolan Ryan took him yard. There is no rookie in baseball that could do that other than the thrill. And as a fixture in the Giants franchise, he is the only player in the history of the San Francisco Giants, minus Barry Bonds, inducted into the Giants, or not inducted, put on the Giants' uh, uh, wall out and left for a retired number to just explain how important the thrill is. He got less than 5% of the Hall of Fame vote. The Giants as a franchise reserves uh, retired numbers only if you were one of the greats and only if you were a Hall of Fame player. So for Will Clark to get it, that says just just a little bit about how important he was to a franchise. But I'm going to follow him up with a player that could learn how to play the game from Will. And I'm not talking about his ability to play the game. I'm just talking about that fire, that intensity, that drive. I'm going to take... 
the captain of the current squad, Mr. Buster Posey. Buster Posey. Not surprising he was the first catcher pick. Oh, yeah, come man. On, man. What, what you don't you mentioned how- in- Oh, sorry about that. Go for it. You can't win three titles. You can't win three titles and not say that Buster Posey doesn't deserve to be the first catcher taken off the rock. Off. Because I'll, I'll admit it. I'm not a huge Buster Posey fan. I think he's a little too quiet. I don't think that he was the leader that everyone gives him the credit for. He's a leader by example, but sometimes you got to get up there and make everyone believe that you can win. And that is exactly why Will Clark is the player. Because that Giants team that once uh, rattled off all those postseason wins and won those three titles, every single player on that roster knew that they were better than anybody else on the other side of that team. They didn't need Buster Posey to lead. But in the 1989 World Series, I'm sorry, in the 1989 NLCS, Will Clark put that entire team on his back, carried them to the World Series. There is the only reason, the only reason why pitchers cover their mouth right now is because of Will Clark. Because Greg Maddox said he's going to throw him a fucking fastball and he took him yard in the NLCS. This man is unbelievable. And Buster Posey needs to learn how to play some ball from Will Clark. (laughs) Yeah, there you go, man. Look, you talk about Will Clark. He was, in his time in San Francisco, he was top five rookie of the year voting his first year, obviously. He was a top five MVP vote getter. Four out of the years, four out of, I want to say, what, the six or eight years he was there. So his time there was incredible. Uh, you know, go glove, silver slugger, like like you guys mentioned. Like, he's he's a very good player. As far as Buster goes, you know, for the last 20 years, he, he's in the debate for best catcher the last couple of decades. You probably have Pudge in there. You have Yachty in there. You, maybe you have one other guy in there. But, you know, two guys who, you know, giant baseball. You think giant baseball, those two guys are, are, are it. Yo, Rob, who are you taking with your five pick? Yeah, so uh, with my next pick, and you know, this is this is the thing that's great about doing these drafts is once you start to get really deep into the research, you might discover some things about you know guys that you weren't necessarily too familiar with. So for my next pick, I'm gonna take a guy who's probably one of the best overall just pure hitters that the Giants have had as a franchise, and that's gonna be Bill Terry. Nice, Bill Terry. There you go, man. Yeah, so I'm, yeah, so I'm going to go ahead and take uh, Bill Terry here. Um, overall, just a really, really good hitter. Um, he was there from 1923 to 1936, just about a 900 OPS um, in his entire uh, period there. He was a 341 hitter during his time there. In his, at, in his peak, probably like a six-year peak, he was a 357 hitter over 920 OPS. Um, and just some interesting things that, that I found with his uh, stat line. He's currently tied for 10th um, all-time in career batting average. Um, you know, we're not going to take his his entire thing into account, but I just thought that was interesting. He's a 341 career hitter. Um, he's also tied for the third most hits in a single season with 254 in 1930. And he was also the last National League player to have a season to hit over 400. Um, so overall, definitely one of the guys that I wasn't too familiar with in the Giants franchise, but definitely a solid pick and probably one of their best overall hitters. Absolutely, man. And I think what one of the funnier things about Bill Terry, the year that he hit 401, he didn't get any MVP votes. But every year other than that, so from 1929 to 1935, he did get MVP votes and his average wasn't anywhere near 400. So yeah, kind of cool. It, it, it's tough to evaluate that kind of stuff because it, it happens, you know, with a lot of stat lines. Like you'll look at a player who – I mean, especially back then, not so much maybe now, but back then you'll look at a player who 
you know, hit 40 home runs and had 120 RBIs, not get MVP votes. And then the next season, he'll hit 25 home runs and have 80 RBIs and he finishes like second in the voting. So I think it also just comes down to to what the rest of the league is looking like and I guess how they voted for for, you know, awards back then. But yeah, that's that's definitely something I've been noticing, too. Yeah, I, th- I think uh, I agree with you, man. The older you get, as far as uh, these players, you kind of have to look into the context. Because, you know, to be real, we don't really know the context of that time. You know I mean, we, we know as far as the data goes. But other than that, we don't have much to, to link it to. Uh, you know, there's articles and things like that. But, but yeah, that's definitely not a, a, a exact science whatsoever. Yo, Nick, who's your fifth and sixth pick? So my fifth and sixth pick, I, I, I'm going to take a chance. Because I got two guys that I want to take as a Giants fandom, and I have to apologize for my outburst when Rob picked Tim Lincecum because I know, I know. Was that, that you? Is, I, I thought that was, that was Murph. <laughs> no, that was me because I was laughing at Murphy because I know how much he loves Tim Lincecum. And there's one player left in the Giants history that if he gets draft, I won't draft him, but if Rob drafts him before Murphy, I know for a fact Murphy's going to go stab him. For He will buy a plane ticket, he will find a shank, that's untraced and go stab him. But uh, I knew how much that meant to Murphy and he composed himself, came right back with Will Clark and Buster Posey, which was good, but I'm going to take the chance that two of my guys are going to be gone and I'm going to go historical here and I'm going to sure up at first base with a little Johnny Mize and Johnny Mize is an interesting case because he missed He's got some really good numbers with the Giants. 299 batting average, 938 OPS, 157 home runs in about four years, which is pretty solid. But he missed his age 30, 31, and 32-year-old ages while going and fighting in the war. So he's one of the war guys. And if you think about it, when he came back from the war, he played a truncated season in 46 and still hit 22 home runs. But playing full seasons in 47 and 48, he hit 51 and 40 home runs. So I kind of got to give him 80 more home runs, probably 150 more, or no, probably 200 more RBIs and maybe 200 more runs. He's, he's, a, he's not a well-known stud for the Giants, but overall he's a really good hitter, great numbers with the Giants and missed three prime years. So I'm going to go Johnny Mize at first base, which is going to put McCovey in the outfield so I got to get a little bit of a defensive outfield going now. And for that, I'm actually going to come in with another guy that's got just supreme numbers, 349 career batting average at the Giants. It's only a couple years worth, and we are talking in the 20s. But this, this is one of the first names I ever heard as a baseball fan because I believe he went on to manage very successfully. He was a great outfielder. He played all three positions, and he hit – well over 300 every year he was in New York. We're talking a year of 363, 339, and with an OPS over 1,000. And I'm going to go Casey Stangle in my outfield. Casey Stangle, not a bad one at all, man. Two, two like I said, really underrated names, but guys who absolutely, dom- not dominate, but they were really good during those eras, man. And w- one of the points I wanted to make on guys like Johnny Mize, guys who did miss that time for, for you know, World War II, um, what's it called? I can't imagine that being the case in today's game. Like, I can't imagine someone who, like, like Mookie Betts or or Mike Trout, even missing four years of prime baseball. You know what I mean? Like from twenty eight to thirty two or twenty nine to thirty three, whatever the case may be. 
and they come back and are still on the top of their game. Like I just I can't imagine that in the in the game today. You know I mean, I don't know how you guys feel about that, but for me, it's just something special. Kind of details how good the greats really were during that time because it's it's absolutely insane to me, man. You take you take three years off of probably maybe you play catch on the base, but other than that, you're focusing on not dying. Like it's insane. Hey, yo, Rob, you got your sixth pick now. All right, so for my next pick, this is where I want to add some spice to the draft. So I'm going to go ahead and just make a complete asshole pick simply because I know that at this position, um, I have the ability to move guys around and I know that I can potentially take the top two guys at this position. So for my next pick, I'm going to take Jeff Kent. An asshole pick for an asshole player from what we've heard. Hey, I'll tell you yeah, right now, I mean, he's not even on my list. Yeah, <laughs> hey, that's that's incredible. Uh, I, I guess it, it's a it's a personal pick because statistically he he has to be just on on probably every list. Um, but yeah, from ninety seven to two thousand two, um, he was there in in San Fran, um, just under thirty home runs, one hundred fifteen RBIs a season. He was just about a three hundred hitter, two ninety seven, nine hundred plus OPS, um, and he also won NL MVP in two thousand, um, right before. Barry Bonds crazy uh, 2001 season. He had 33 home runs, 125 RBIs, 334 batting average, a 102-1 OPS. Um, yeah, I think Jeff Kent was a, a really solid hitter for for San Francisco in the time he was there. Um, by most, he would probably be ranked statistically as the top second baseman in in the history of the franchise. Um, he didn't. He like I said earlier, he wasn't able to necessarily uh, you know exactly duplicate the single season that Roger Hornsby had there simply because Roger Hornsby is, is one of the, one of the greatest of all time. Um, but yeah, I'll take Hornsby and and Jeff Kent. I'm probably going to end up moving Jeff Kent over to first base and just uh, situate him there for the time being. Hey, I'll be honest with you, man. Like that Jeff Kent is the best second baseman statistically in the giants history. There's not really a way around it. I just can't stand him. And I have a couple of absolute favorites players wise at second base. Like that's yeah, a good it, thing it's sure. different because it's you, you also have to remember it's uh it's two if we want to say former Giants fans you know uh compared with me so like my my picks are going to be statistically based like because I'm I outside of like Lincecum and maybe like one other guy that I just enjoyed watch play I have to go by the statistics to form this lineup I'm, I'm not a guy who's as familiar with the franchise as the two guys that I'm going up against for sure yeah, man, and uh, what's called Murph? You got your pick now. You got six and seven. Yeah, I'm just gonna take this now so that I don't have any problems with with you know, as as Nick said, I don't I don't want to hunt anybody down. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so I'm gonna I'm gonna take a guy that a lot of people don't really know much about, and it might be early, but for me, like uh, he's seriously one of the greatest relief pitchers that I think has ever played the game. And I'm just talking stuff wise. I don't give a shit about your stats. Just like show me a 92 mile an hour slider and show me a 96 mile an hour splitter and show me a 99 mile an hour fastball. Because those are the three pitches that Rob then was dealing with back when he was taking the, the giants through the postseason in those early two thousands. And he was also the guy that shut it down and locked it up for those, uh, for that Marlin team back in 97 when they won their first title, Rob then he literally had a pitch named after Arnold Schwarzenegger, the Terminator, that 92 mile an hour Slider, I tell you, would just drop off a table at 90, 92. Sometimes I've seen it go up to 93, 94. 
and then he could follow it up with a 96 mile an hour split and then finish you off with a hundred. Come on, man. Rob Nen, hands down the greatest relief pitcher in the history of San Francisco. I like uh, it. Uh-huh. And then next, go ahead. Tell me, tell me how no, great no. Rob Nen was. I got no problem <laughs> with that. No, I mean, look, I, I love it. I think he's one of those guys where his career was a little shorter than most. He, his last, his last pitch was at age 32. Usually guys can go a little longer than that. So it's, it's a little weird that that's how it ended for him, but still, it, it's. You, you want me to explain to you why he stopped? Because I can do that too. Because <laughs> the man gave up his career to win a title. I don't know if you know this, and a lot of people don't, but the Giants were heading into that uh, 2002 World Series run, and Rob Nen was pitching without a without a right shoulder, and Dusty Baker came into him in the players' room, asked him if he could go because they did not get any help for him at the trade deadline, and then said he was good which is why I have such a problem with Brian Wilson talking about how he gave up his career for the Giants. No, there's one relief pitcher that gave up his career for the Giants, and that's Rob Nett. There you go, man. I love it. God absolutely love that story too, man. Who's your next pick? My next guy, I'm going to have to go Richie. And this is just all my heart, man, because Richie was not the guy that would light everything up at shortstop, but he is the best guy that we've had in a long time. And I'm going to let Nick Gate take his guy because I'm fine with that. But Richie, for me, if you can't tell, those those 2002, 2003 teams, that's when I was, like, in high school. Those were the guys I was trying to, like, get up there and just, you know, do a little something with. But, yeah, I'm going to take, <laughs> take Richie over at, at, at shortstop because the man with the with the glove was was maybe not Crawford level, but that, that bat was next level compared to Crawford. I have a feeling we're going to hear Crawford's name uh, before the, the end of the episode. So I think I think uh, w- w- he'll be fine with that. Yo. Rob, who's, your, who's going to be your son's pick? Yeah, so I'm going to keep it simple with this one. I'm going to go ahead and just lock up my uh, outfield with a former MVP, and I'm going to take Kevin Mitchell. Kevin Mitchell. That is a former – uh, Nick selection, I believe, that he had for another draft, and uh, I will be taking him here. Out of boy, I'm surprised he didn't pick another Kevin MVP vote getter in the outfielder. In the outfield, I mean, uh. mm, I'm fine. I'm fine with Kevin Mitchell. He's also Kevin Mitchell is also just uh, uh, essentially like a super utility. There's a lot of different positions he plays. So we're just going to go ahead and sit back and see how, how these guys keep making their picks to see what how that's going to influence my future picks. All right, man. There we go. Yo, Nick, you're up with your seventh and eighth pick. So mad right now because I was going to pick Kevin Mitchell with my last pick, and I did not think Rob was going to pick him right there. So I'm just going to go. I'm going to go to my childhood. I'm going to go with the guy who might have broken – you know what? I'm going to say this. He would have broken the home run record single season if they didn't have a strike in 1994. Matt Williams as my keystone – as my as my third baseman. Matt Williams, not a bad pick at all, man. Honestly, I'm, I'm surprised he kind of lasted this long. I, I thought he was going to go a little earlier, but not, not mad at it, man. Uh, what's it called? Who's going to be your eighth pick? Well, so the reason he lasts this long is because luckily Murphy and I have – different favorites along the Giants lineage. And so I've got Matt Williams at third base where he's moving Orlando Cepeda over, which is a good sneaky move because not a lot of people know he moved Orlando Cepeda over there. And for those that don't know, I'm about, I'm six foot, about 280, 285. 
I got the old man's strength. Chris Murphy is not that large of a man. And since we have difference on shortstops, I'm going to pick up my shortstop, the guy that if Murphy and I had to fight over this, he probably would have a first-round pick. But I'm going to take one of my man crushes. And as Murphy talked about the beauty of a man with uh, – with Willie Stargell last time, or sorry, with Dave Parker. Dave Parker, Dave Parker. Yeah. come on, man. Respect I'm, Dave Parker. I'm going to go with the flowing, luscious hair of Brandon Crawford at shortstop, and I'm going to take all the ground balls up the middle, and they ain't going nowhere. I'm going to take maybe the greatest arm at shortstop in the history of the game. Raphael for call is the only other one that I could really put up there, but I'm going to put Brandon Crawford up the middle. I knew you were going to pick him. Look, like I said, it, this is one of those things at the beginning of the episode – I knew by the end of the draft, Brandon Crawford was going to somehow be yours. I didn't know if you were going to have to trade for him. I didn't know what you were going to have to do, but I knew that at the end of the episode, Brandon Crawford would be your shortstop. He's the one guy I would have flipped my desk over that I'm drafting from right now, and you guys would have heard my kids going, Dad, what's wrong? If, if he would have been drafted. I'm glad that there's no children hurt in the making of this episode. Yeah, no That's- children, no dogs. Or dogs. I didn't even know that was an option. So, used to me. But, I mean, look, that's a good shortstop third base third base pick in, in on you know these last two rounds for you, man. That's pretty good. Uh, Rob, who are you going to take at number eight? Yeah, so uh, it's good that they're making some selections off of who their favorites are because it, it, it allows me just some later picks uh, from a statistics standpoint. Um, but we already discussed this. Like they're more familiar with their team than, than I am. So I, I can only go from pure statistics, but I'm going to make sure that I lock up my catcher here and I'm going to go with probably the Don't second do best catcher do in it. franchise history. Don't do and I'm going to take Buck Ewing. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So statistically, I would probably argue that uh, Buck Ewing is, is the second best catcher in, in franchise history. Um, one of those real early picks, 1883 to 1892. Um, he was over a 300 hitter. His best season, he hit 338 with a 951 OPS. Um, he hit 300 or better in every single season that he spent with the Giants, except for one. And one of the interesting things that I found out about him is that he's regarded as the greatest catcher of the 19th century. Um, and one of the things that they listed for him was that he, it's believed that he's the first catcher in history to begin using a padded mitt behind the plate. So that was an interesting uh, fact that I found out about him. I think that um, for the catcher's position in terms of who leads statistically and and probably just overall talent-wise, Buster Posey has to be the first selection. But if I'm going to pick anybody number two, it's probably going to be Buck Ewing. Yeah, and one thing with Buck Ewing, he's not going to be somebody anybody heard heard about at this time. You know, he started his career in 1880, for God's sakes. You know what I mean? Where they're playing, where he played 13 games. So didn't really have those long 162 se- game seasons. There was no awards by when he was playing. It was pretty much playing for the love of the game out here. Um, but yeah, no, Buck Ewing, definitely a throwback pick. Yo, Murph, who you taking eighth and ninth? Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna keep away from players that were uh, top 100 of the 19th century. I think that's uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna stick to the guys that actually had some competition. Uh, <laughs> but the next hey, time we take you, three hundred. Hey, three hundred is three hundred, but you know it's it means something different when 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 you throw a, a guy bit, out but there. But that's also why the whole lineup is not going to be those guys. Hey, like if you I took Buster it. Posey, you have to go with that pick essentially, statistically, hey, statistically. Favoritism I, is a whole different thing. 
I love it because you know what? This is the perfect time for a Yankees fan to figure out just how much better the Giants were than the Yankees. Just this Let me mute my oh, mic. Okay. Don't want to listen to these so okay. <laughs> Don't want to don't want to listen to all these lies. But go ahead and continue. <laughs> so uh, I'm, the next guy I'm going to take is it's it's not necessarily a pick for me. It's going to be a pick for for my grandmother because her favorite player. And this is going to hurt Nick. This is going to hurt Nick so deeply. But don't her favorite it. player was Robbie. Robbie Thompson, he's going to play my second base for me. Robbie Thompson is the epitome of what it means to be a gamer. If you don't know what a gamer means, you need to watch some Giants baseball because we'll teach you how to play some real ball, you know, with with some heart, some soul, some fight, some fire. Although the current team ain't got none of that. They got Kapler, but it's okay. It's okay. They'll get back. So eventually Kapler will get found out for being the second coming of Donnie baseball. But until then, I'm just going to take Thompson. Uh, And then I'm going to follow that one up. Because I need to, I need to fill some holes here, and I, I've got some big holes in my rotation. But I'm going to take some of the, some guys that uh, may not be like first thought of, but still, still wonderful. Uh, and I'm, I'm going to take, I'm going to take an old school guy. I'll, I'll, I'll help you out. I'll, you know, we'll we'll say best of the 20th century, and we'll take some Carl Hubble here because he's the best guy left on the board. <laughs> Yo, I gotta say, Carl I love the shit dog. So many screwballs, so many screwballs. His arm turned the other way. Like, I'm so glad story? you said that story because I was going. To. <laughs> he used to throw screwballs so much he would walk around with his arm turned out to the face you. Basically, I got a friend that's got a, a busted bone in his arm. He can't do that either. But he's just weird. Uh, Carl Hubble just did it because he threw them screwballs. Screwballs. He also there's some old old footage of him throwing school uh, screwballs through some old pane glass windows. If you if you get a chance, I think this was in baseball. Nick might be able to to correct me. Uh, the Ken Burns documentary because he's seen that thing like 50 times. But I believe it's in the baseball documentary. But Carl Hubble, yeah, you know he was he was Timmy before Timmy. Yeah, man. And look, one one of the cool things about Carl Hubble. As a starting pitcher, it's not easy to do, but he has two MVP awards. Was in the top ten in MVP voting for about one, two, three, four, five years in a row, essentially. So definitely someone who dominated with his weird, with his weird ass arm and stuff like hey, that. For anybody who doesn't know what Murphy was talking about, is because he threw a screwball, which is a pitch that not a lot of people throw, and you throw it on the inside, basically a reverse slider, and he threw it so much. He's right-handed. That if you were taking a picture of him, and there are pictures like this, when he's just standing in regular clothes, his right hand faces away from his body at the end of his career instead of into his body. It's crazy. It sounds absolutely disgusting. Yo, uh, <laughs> yo Rob, who are you taking with your ninth pick? All right, so uh, with my next pick, uh, I'm going to keep it 21st century since that's kind of the route that we want to head down. And I'm going to focus on the three titles that the Giants won, and I'm going to take Sergio Romo off the board. Ooh. Oh, that was my. a good one. That's a good one. That's a good deal. That's a, yo, that's you know a fan favorite, by the way, as well. Yeah, he, I mean, he could be he could be a fan favorite pick, but he's also he's – he's, he's probably one of the guys that's the best combo of a fan favorite pick and a statistical pick simply because his, his time in San Francisco was fantastic – under a 2.6 ERA, under a one whip. I think it was a 0.94, a 0.95 um, in his time there. And in, in the five-year period that they won those three titles, I mean, even better, 2.38 and a 0.92 whip. Definitely one of those guys that deserves uh, more attention. Um, I think the – I will say this. One comment that I will say about the Giants is I think that 
um, in their, I guess if you want to refer to like their five-year dynasty in, in which they won those three titles, their bullpen was disgusting at different, you know, like different periods of time. You had different guys on. Um, I mean, there's, you know, we already have Sergio Romo off the board, but there's three or four guys that I have written down just simply from those teams alone who might be a little forgotten about unless you're a, a Giants fan simply because people tend to focus on who the primary closer is and not enough attention is put on those guys that build the bridge for you to get to the closer. But yeah, definitely the Giants in in those title runs had filthy bullpen arms. Yeah, man, they definitely did. And not just for Jerome, there's another closer out there that that kind of assisted them in at least the first one. Yo, uh, Nick, who are you going to take at 9 and 10? So before I take my 9 and 10 pick, for, I got to say, we have to get Fleming and Murphy on the same podcast at some point because now that we're starting to shoot shots and pew-pew everybody, those two guys would be great on a podcast together. Yeah, that Especially, Chipper Jones comment ain't going ain't gonna to flow too well with uh, Fleming. Oh, fuck Chipper. I, I already heard Fleming in my ear. I worked with that dude for years, for years. I already know what he's going off on. But anyway, so, uh, yeah. So now I get to take my absolute man crush, my favorite giant ever. I'm so glad he made it this far. I wasn't sure if he was going to. I don't give a shit. Anything of his stats, really don't care. One of the nicest guys ever in the history of the game. The only perfect game in Giants history. I'm going to go Matt Kane to, to round out my starting rotation. I love it, man. I was Look, I was really wondering if someone's going to take him because he did have a lot of, you know, injury-plagued seasons with, with the Giants, and people probably remember him more for, like, the later part of his career where he was making a lot of money but not pitching a lot of games. But he had, he had a really good career with San Francisco. He was definitely one of the top ten pitchers in the game at some points while he was in San Francisco, at least those early days. I love this pick, man. Thank you for taking Matt Cain. No, he, I'm I'm so happy. He was the only other player that I might have flipped my shit and kicked my dog if he got picked. But he was known as the workhorse. He had seven straight years of over 200 innings pitched. And you talk about all the money that he made. When he retired in 2017, and Murphy, correct me if I'm wrong, I believe he was contracted through 2020. So he had 18, 19, and 20 all years on his contract that he could have gotten paid. And he said, no, keep the money, San Francisco. I'm not playing baseball. You don't need to pay me. Like, that's the type of dude this guy is. It's a shame he never won a Cy Young, and it's a shame he didn't go get more nor- notoriety because he's just an absolute stud. And my Matt Cain story is <clears throat> my ex-wife and I, on a random Wednesday night, uh, decided, hey, let's go have a date night. Like, we had just had our daughter. We had to find a babysitter. And we're like, hey, let's go have a date night. Do we want to go to the Giants game or do we want to watch Avengers? Uh, Let's check out tickets for both. Okay, cool. Found second row right by the Giants bullpen for, I think, $12 a piece. Like, fuck it, those are the best tickets we've ever ever seen for that price. Get up there, get in their second inning, and it is the night that Matt Cain throws his perfect game. And it gets to about inning six, and you hear the buzz. And as a player, you don't talk about this stuff. She turns to me the sixth or seventh thing, and she's like, you know, I was like, if you say one more word, I am moving five rows down. I do not know you. You shut up, and we're not going to talk about this for the rest of the game. And I saw some of the most amazing catches by Melky Cabrera and Gregor Blanco to save that perfect game. It was amazing. I still have the dirt and chalk line from the game, and the, the groundskeeper's like, dude, what are you doing? I was like, dude, that was a perfect game, man. What? That's never happened. 
And he's like, okay, do you want some of the chalk line? So he gave me a shovel of chalk line. I still have the dirt, the ticket stub, and everything. Uh, amazing. I'm so glad to be there for it because he is, he is probably my favorite giant to ever play the game. So moving on because that was way too long for that one. Um, all my picks are picked for me the rest of the way because the only position I have to fill out is outfield. And there is absolutely zero way that the guy I'm going to pick in the outfield gets picked because nobody, I don't even know if anybody knows that he played for the Giants. So I'm going to come back and I'm going to go with the guy who is nicknamed Shooter. And since he played in the 80s and 90s, most of you guys aren't going to probably know who this is, but he is maybe the best person that's ever played for the Giants. He personally took it upon himself to match all of the donations for Toys for Tots in the San Francisco city limits himself. Everything that was donated by by uh, regular civilians, he matched that toy for toy when he played for the Giants. And one of his teammates in Boston, Tim Wakefield, said this is the biggest heart that he's ever played with and the most humble guy he's ever played with. He called everybody dude. He didn't let clubhouse attendants pick up his dirty towels and laundry until they went outside and had a cigarette with him. I'm going to go Rod Beck for my closer. Rod Beck at closer. Nice, man. Sounds like a pretty cool dude, too. He was, man. He was he was a true dude. He he treated everybody nice. He was the guy that he, he he partied a little bit too much, so he wasn't always there early. But if he was there early, he was signing autographs for kids until they were gone. Like he would literally, as long as there was a kid asking him for an autograph, he would sign it. It didn't matter how long it took him to do it. He would sign autographs even during the game. And there's not a lot of players that do that. All right, man. Got gotta love it. Yo, uh Rob, who are you thinking with your tough pick? All right, so with my next pick, um, I think I could have potentially waited until the last pick to snag this guy, but I don't want to take any chances um, simply because there are still some pitchers that need to be picked out there. And this definitely is another uh, favoritism pick because I think the the Giants, w- once you get past certain pitcher, pitchers, the, the Giants' uh, history kind of focuses on, you know, back 100 years from now. But I'm going to go ahead and take probably my – other favorite modern day giant pitcher and i'm gonna take jason schmidt off the board nice nice yo i almost forgot he was even a giant that's a very that's good a pick. Yeah, nah, man. I, I told you look this is a, this is a favoritism pick i mean statistically yes in the in the 1800s and 1900s there are guys that, that were better statistically but uh he was very solid uh for san francisco from um 02 to 06 um, he did have a 3.3 ERA, um, 1.17 WHIP, but 2003 was probably his best season. 17 and five, 2.34 with a 0.95 WHIP. And I don't know about anybody else, but he was one of those guys where I I'm not gonna say he was necessarily the same level of talented, but yo, those early you know MLB games that I used to play, every single time I would pick the Yankees and I would put you know certain players on the Yankees just to kind of bolster certain areas. Jason Smith and uh, Johan Santana were probably the two pitchers that I always used to trade to the Yankees just to have them in there. I don't know what it was, but those were like two of my real early, um, you know, like pitchers. They yes, like injury wise, they kind of fell off toward towards the the latter end of their career. But those were two of my favorite guys real early on in the two thousands. Yeah, Jason Smith not not like a great career overall. Even even you know from the days before the Giants. But the, the, he had two seasons essentially where he was, you know, a top five pitcher in the NL. Man, he finished Cy Young Award voting second and fourth 
in 2003, 2004. So he definitely was one of the better pitchers of, of that time, uh, at least those couple of years. Yo, Murph, you got your 10th and 11th, buddy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start to round us out here, but I'm going to take uh, some of these older guys from, from these uh, late 80s. Or I'm sorry, early 80s, late night, late 80s, early 90s. There we go. Uh, I'm going to round this out with Kruk. Now, Kruk may not have the best numbers that's up on the board, but Kruko, if you know anything about the Giants, is the heart and soul of San Francisco Giants in 2020. I mean, uh, he's dealing with a lot of health problems, and it that honestly, the thing that hurts me the most about not watching Giants games is knowing that I'm missing Kruk and Kipe and, and the few years that they have left together. But Mike Kruko as a, as a pitcher was fantastic for the Giants. You know, he, he came in a little bit later after leaving the Cubbies, and he wasn't quite, you know, an all-star, but the man was a workhorse. And kind of going off of what, what you said there about, about Schmidt, you know, Schmidt is exactly that, except a little bit different. He, Schmidt reminds me a bit of, like, those, those pitchers, like Greg Maddox will do anything for a win. Like, they just bear down and they get him. Uh, and Nick, Shooter didn't have to worry about getting to the park on time. He's a closer, man. <laughs> Uh, but True, my but last big party to get there late, not to just show up late fashionably. Yeah, you know. <laughs> but my my eleventh pick, I'm gonna take somebody that uh, it is maybe maybe interesting, maybe strange. But for me, during those uh, 2010 teams, he always seemed to came up big. He wasn't there for all three of them. But I'm gonna take uh, Gregor Blanco, the White Shark. Nice. I remember every single time my uncle and I would be watching a game. And Gregor Blanco would come up, and he would talk so much shit about Blanco. I'd be like, nah, 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 watch. The guy, every time that we needed something from him, whether it was a say, uh, a catch in the warning track to save a perfect game, or if it's a game-winning base hit, Gregor Blanco would come up clutch every time. I, I would say this, man. This episode definitely has a lot more uh, fan favoritism than it does uh, your straight-up just stats and things like that. Because Gregor Blanco, one of the better role players in the MLB really kind of – he had that role. He took it by storm. You said he's he did important things. He was always there when it mattered. And, you know, Kruko, the same thing, man. Kruko finished top three in, in, AL, in uh, NLSI Young voting once. But other than that, he was pretty much just consistent. He was just consistent. Uh, yo, uh, Rob, you, who's your 11th? Yeah, so um, let's see. There's two positions I can tackle here. Um but I'm gonna stick. I'm gonna stick with the with the statistical and and kind of favorite combo. I'm gonna go with another. Um, there are better guys out there statistically still left on the board. But I'm gonna make this pick strictly off of this is one of the guys that I love to watch play as well. And even though his stint was short in San Fran, it was still very enjoyable overall as a personality. And I'm gonna go ahead and take Moises Alou. Nice fan favorite for sure. Wonderful. Yeah. Very nice. Yeah. Yeah. One of my favorite guys to watch, honestly, like whether you're talking Giants, Cubs, Expos, I mean, he, he he's definitely one of my like really early uh, favorite personalities in the game and just a really good ball player. Plus, he pisses on his hands and it was cool Ooh. when he did it. Well, yeah, <laughs> the story, the, the story behind that, though, is because if you remember Moise Lou, he didn't use batting gloves. So uh, apparently, like the acidity from the urine helped him callous his hands or something like that. I don't know. It was, it was crazy. All I, all I know is, is uh, uh, Moisa Lou was one of the guys who did it. Um, I don't know. That's one of the first things that comes to my mind when I think about Moisa Lou. 
that and that awkward, uh, you know, left field moment out there in, in Wrigley. Yo, Nick, who, who's your last two picks? Oh, I'm so happy the way this draft played out. I, it could not have gone much better. The only guy that really got snaked from me was Kevin Mitchell. There's still a Hall of Fame starting pitcher left to be picked up and one of the all-time great starting pitchers. But for me, I get to shock the world with my last pick. But for my, my 11th pick, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fill in my catcher role. And I already told everybody I was going to draft this guy for every chance I get. And I'm really surprised Rob didn't take him. But I'm going to take Benito Santiago. I can't, man. It doesn't make sense statistically. It, look, let's put it this way. Let's put it this way. It doesn't make sense statistically because we still haven't gotten to the franchise where it would make sense statistically. You yeah, get I don't me? know if he's relevant on any franchise, to be honest. He, he, he is. For the franchise that he played the most time in, Like he okay. probably would be one of the picks. But eh, I, look, I looked him up. I'm not going to lie. I looked up. I know Benito was on the Giants. I looked him up. But statistically, uh, I can't do it, man. I just I, I can't bring myself to do it. But I get it. He's your pick, and I look look. The more Puerto Ricans that we have picked, the better. Right, and like I, I'm just a fan because I love watching the dude play. It's when I was playing college baseball uh, at Chico State, so I was I didn't get to watch as many games as I wanted. And don't get me wrong, I mean I, my last two picks are gonna just kill my batting average and my power as a team. Three years, thirty three home runs. That ain't shit. He two seventy three batting average. 726 OPS. When we started this, I told Rob I was going to have a couple guys in the 700 with my OPS. For sure. But, man, even at 36, 37, 38, this dude's arm behind the plate was just so much fun to watch. And he was an all-star in 2002. So it's just a fun guy to watch, a fan favorite. I mean, he's he is a Colombian drug lord playing catcher. That's what <laughs> he was. That's really what he was. So – um, he got all the drugs for Rod Beck <laughs> for, for his teammates. Um, so the next guy I'm going to go with, this is really going to shock the world because this is my all-time favorite giant. There's no good reason for it other than, in my opinion, he is one of the most underrated players in the history of the game, and he wasn't good. He never was going to be good, but he just seemed to have all the tools and just really couldn't put it together. And I love this guy so much because I called 2AT. This guy plus a catcher being traded to the Philadelphia Phillies in 2012. So annoying when he's right. <laughs> and I told this to Murphy in the break room at Best Buy in SoCal, California, that Hunter Pence, we were going to go get Hunter Pence. He's like, no, there's no way. I was like, yeah, we're going to trade my guy. My Tommy Joseph guy. was yeah. one of these guys too. Yeah, Tommy Joseph was the catcher. Prospect, we had Posey. I was like, dude, we got catchers to spare. He's going to go where you get Hunter Pence, who's a much better player. Sure enough, got Hunter Pence. Went around, won the World Series that year. My favorite giant of all time, number 12, an absolute hose from the outfield, Nate Shearholz. Whoa. I know, off the board, off the board. I just I love would, the way this guy played. There's, there's a 0% chance I would have ever guessed he would have been taken on this or any other episode. There was a 100% chance I knew he was going to get taken on this. Yes. <laughs> I just, I, I just, I love the way he played the game. He's a great dude. Um, I mean, the story where I actually called the trade for Hunter Pence, who's also one of my favorites. Like, it was, it was between him and Hunter Pence for my last pick. Um, but he grew up as a giant. He came up through the system, and he just, for some reason, just never really put it together. Granted, he doesn't have anybody's Hall of Fame talent, but I love watching the guy play. I mean, I remember going and looking for the World Series jersey from 2010. 
with the tw- with the gold 12 and everyone's like oh uh, i was like who do you have nate shareholders like no we don't have that number in it's like you don't even know what number it is and i'm going around to all the shops in san francisco because they didn't have the stadium but it's just it's purely a fan pick there's so many better outfielders i could have gone with um i think everybody's filled out their outfield so we can t- well we'll talk about who we who could have got picked later but that's my that's my outfield round out all right man i mean look is it shocking absolutely but can we hit on it no i you know i I want to go a little bit back to Benito Santiago pick, man. And he's another guy who kind of revolutionized what happened at the catch position. You know what I mean? He had an absolute hose, man. Like, he was stupid. I'm talking just throwing from his knees like like absolutely nothing. It was, it was insane. I feel you like know, he was Robin, from the seat of his butt and just hosed out anybody. Incredible. Yeah, incredible arm, man. Dude, he had a cannon. Yo, Rob, who's going to be your last pick? Yeah, so uh, for my last pick, it's it's pretty simple because uh, these two guys picked their shortstop real early on. So I'm just going to fill up shortstop, and I'm going to take George Davis for my shortstop as my last pick. Nice. All right, man. Not, not bad. He's actually somebody that did make it onto my uh, my list of possible shortstops. He was, uh, I had him as my second best shortstop coming up out of there. So, so not a yeah, bad pick one of, at all. One of those older picks, um, definitely, you know – if you have to take the time period into account, I think the thing that we're realizing with a lot of these players from the older time period is um, not big on on home run numbers, but that also doesn't mean that they weren't productive. So he had a probably like a four or five year peak there of hitting three forty four over nine twenty OPS. I, he had over he averaged over hundred RBIs for that for that peak one hundred seventy hits, twenty eight doubles, fifteen triples. Um, overall, just a really good solid player. Um, and yeah, I'd probably agree with you. I probably had him had him there as as probably the second best. Um, selection at, at shortstop for the Giants. So I'll definitely take him with my last pick. Not bad, man. Great, great value pick with that one, yo. And now, yo, Mr. Murphy, who's he going to be your last pick? Okay, so this is going to throw everybody off, and I'm pretty sure nobody knows who this is. Nick may not even know this who this is. And I've made a couple of references to my grandmother throughout this kind of thing, but my grandmother is the person that kind of instilled in me this love for baseball, and it goes back to this player directly. Uh, I'm going to take Marv Grissom. Marv Grissom was actually a pitcher with the Giants way, way, way back in the day. And I know Nick knows this story because I told him this before, but Marv Grissom actually was born, raised, grew up, went to school in the same tiny little town of Las Molinas, uh, California, which is the same exact town where my grandmother is from. The Grissom brothers, both Marv and Lee Grissom, were both drafted by the Giants. I don't remember when. This was like back in the 1940s. I mean, he he made his debut with the Giants back in 46. So this is a long, 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 long time ago. Uh, but yeah, this is the guy, or these two brothers are, are the reason why I grew up a Giants fan, going all the way back to uh, the time that they spent in New York. So I'm going to wrap it up with, with Marv Grissom, who's going to take my last rotation spot. Yo, look, Marv Grissom has one of the weirdest careers I hear. So, look, 1946 was his first year. Didn't pitch again until 1949. Just three three years off, randomly. Not not sure what happened there. Then he comes back, 1949, he's pitching three more years off. Uh, he, he was fighting in the war for a couple of those years. He was in the war. That was? Okay. Yeah, he was okay. fighting in the war during a couple of those years. All right, and then he he took another three year stint where he wasn't playing from forty nine to fifty two. So you know his third his third year in baseball was when he was thirty four, and then he had a really good year in fifty four when uh, he made the All Star team and got got a couple MVP votes from what it looks like. So I mean, yeah, he had some years there. 
All right, yo, look. Let me tell you guys your teams. Yo, Murphy, you took you took the the pairing of the Bond son and father with uh, Barry being your first overall pick and Bobby your second. Orlando Zapata is your third baseman. Will Clark at first. Buster Posey. Rob Nen. Richard really at shortstop. Robbie Thompson playing second. Carl Hubble. Mike Krukro. Kruko. Uh, Gregor Blanco in the outfield. And your last pick was Marv Grissom, man. How are you feeling about your team? It's a, it's, a, it's a different team. I think I'm okay with a lot of the offensive players that I picked, which is why I wasn't too worried about the stats. I was mostly just worried about putting a team together that my grandmother wouldn't beat me over the head for having. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we hope you listen to the podcast. Yeah, Rob, your, your team, you took the great Willie Mays with your first pick, man. After that, you followed up with Christy Matheson, Roger Hornsby for like the eighth time for you, Tim Lincecum, Bill Terry, the always angry Jeff Kent, Kevin Mitchell stole that one from Nick. Buck Ewing. Sergio Romo, uh, one of your uh, more recent guys. Jason Schmidt. Moises, I piss on my hands, Lou. And George Davis at shortstop, man. How do you feel about your team? Yeah, I I feel really good. I think any time you're starting off a a draft with, you know, Willie Mays in general, I think you're going to have a very solid draft. Um, I feel like I snagged... uh, Willie and, and Matthewson, who I, I think are the top guys at, at their position. Um, you know, we discussed it a little bit earlier. I, I I would take Willie Mays over Barry Bonds. I think Barry Bonds is the most dominant uh, player. But, you know, overall Giants, I'll take Willie Mays. So I, I feel really good with that pick. And I was also able to just mix in a lot of guys who I felt good about statistically, but also were some of my favorite guys to watch actually play the game. So I, I feel really good about this draft. Yeah, man, I, I like your team just because there's a lot of guys who I was able to enjoy there in the later 2000s, early 2000s. Yo, Nick, you took Willie McCovey for first pick. Followed that up with Mel Ott, Juan Mar- Marichal, Madison Bumgarner, Johnny Mize, Casey Stengel, Matt Williams, Brandon Crawford, Matt Kane, Rob Beck, Benito Santiago, and the surprise pick of the draft, which I'm pretty sure you could have waited on so the 13th pick, if they had one, yo, Nate Scherholz as your last pit player. How do you feel about your team? I love my team. Rob's got the most Hall of Famers with six, but I, I've i got my favorite guys. I've got my favorite pitcher in Matt Cain. I've got my favorite player in Nate Scherholz. I've got maybe my tied second favorite player with Brandon Crawford. I've got some classics, so I'm, I'm stoked. I, I'll put this team on the field any day. I probably, if I was doing – more with my head than my heart. I probably would have picked up Ellis Burke for the outfield spot in that last round. But I can't believe Gaylord Perry was not drafted. That is amazing to me. Yeah, a lot of surprises in this one. Yeah, but that's what happens when you have a fan draft. I'm looking forward to the Yankees draft for sure because all three of us are fans of the Yankees. You guys are obviously a little bit more in tune than I am. But, yeah, I'm, I'm stoked with my team. I've got – the only guy on the team that I would want that I do not have legitimately is Kevin Mitchell. Other than that, I'm every guy I wanted, I got. I could not have put this together better as a fan. Like I say, this, man, I like your team a lot. I thought your team probably had some of the best, just well, name power first of all. But you know, you, anytime you take Juan Marichal, Madison Bumgarner, they're gonna be your two first stars. I you gotta love that. And I would be like, Yo, Nick, you got the best team ever until you went with Nate Sherholtz. And then I was like, you know what? <laughs> if we can give you a fourth place award, we would. I'm just happy you didn't pick Kevin Pillar personally. Oh, no, hey, that's I, a I miss picked, right there. Yeah, 
But bro, he's only hey. If he'd been there for more than half a year, it might have happened. To be honest with you, <laughs> might have happened. Got to I mean, be more than half the a MVP year. Vote. He did, um, and there was sure a lot of favorite picks. There were a lot of favorite picks in this one, and I think you know we had discussed it a bit before, but uh, we had probably this is the first draft where we had already kind of knew ahead of time the way it was going to go for the first four picks because we you know we had mentioned that uh, Murphy's more than likely going Bonds, which means I'm more than likely picking Mage just because I think he should have been the number one selection, so I'm not going to let him slide. And then Nick was going McCovey and Ott. So after that, it kind of just, that's, after the first four picks is kind of where the real draft started. And I will say the only person out of either team, obviously if the person is there, your game plan kind of changes a bit, but the only person that I was really after that someone else snagged was Cepeda, simply because, you know, I, I think he's, in terms of overall discussion, he is probably the most forgotten Puerto Rican that's in the Hall of Fame. Like, and I don't think Cepeda gets talked about enough, um, you know, not even just in terms of baseball, but even within like his own community. Like he's probably, if you had to guess what Puerto Ricans are in the Hall of Fames, I guarantee you, unless you are a Giants fan, Cepeda is the last name you mentioned. And I think he's definitely one of those guys that was probably a lot more talented that, than he's given recognition for. Yeah, that's true, man. Uh, that, that's definitely true, man. And look, I'll say this. One of the guys I'm disappointed he didn't get picked was Brian Wilson. Yo, he was an absolute Fuck nutcase. I don't hate him. No, he doesn't belong on any top Giants team for any reason. I'm sorry. Look, he doesn't. Man. Look, look, look. You you show up to the yet to the SBs in that skin-tight tux. And that's you, why he's not getting beard. drafted. I don't know, man. I'm taking him. He might, but that's he might a problem. <laughs> he's Dude, no one himself, Kung Fu Panda. I know. He was there for me. He was there for me. I'll, I'll admit, he was there for me. Hey, trust me, he was right behind Matt Williams and Kevin Mitchell at third base for me. He was my number three third baseman. Yeah, was, yeah. was anybody thinking? Was anybody thinking JT Snow at all? Absolutely. I had down off those gold gloves. Hey, I'll, I'll be honest with you. If I, I knew I was going McCovey first overall, so I had my first base taken. If I thought Myers was going to go before the fifth round. And the only reason I picked Mize was because he was so good. But if it wasn't for Mize, I might have picked JT Snow and still moved McCovey to the outfield. Because I've met JT Snow. He actually – so I played junior college baseball with my crew son, Jarek. I don't know if I've said that before, but I went to one of the giant slumber parties, and I saw Jarek there. He was talking to JT Snow. And so I go over just to say what up to Jarek. I hadn't seen him in, I don't know, eight years, something, something crazy. So, hey, Jarek, what's up? He's like, oh, hey, what's up, Amano? Like, he knew who I was. And then he turned right back around and started talking to JT Snow. Big lead the shit out of me. Just absolutely like, yeah, you're cool, whatever. And so JT is like, hey, hold on, Jarek. Jarek's like, yeah, what? He's like, uh, who is that? You know you know him. He's like, oh, I, I played ball with him. He's like, well, when did you play ball? And JT Snow immediately turns from Jarek Kruko, stops his conversation, and starts talking to me. He's like, how do you know Jarek? He talked to me like 25 minutes just and completely shut off Mike Kruko's son just to talk to me because I knew him like, He's a good dude, legit dude. Uh, so, yeah, he was for sure on my list. All right, man. Got to love it. I think that's a good place to end here, man. Wait, let me, let me just quickly ask about one more guy. Did anyone have Roger Connor written down? Yeah. No. Yo, his – I mean, I wasn't going to pick him, but the only reason that I wrote him down was – I don't know if anyone else uh, read this about him, but I read that he was recognized as the first, like, real power hitter in baseball. And it was just kind of funny to me because he retired in 1897 with 138 career home runs. And those 138 career home runs weren't surpassed until 1921 by none other than Babe Ruth. 
Yeah. Damn. He was the first power guy because back then they didn't have the fences, you know, like. Yeah. Yeah. He was the first the big bat. Polo grounds was huge too. Yeah. I just thought it was funny that it was someone like Babe Ruth, you know, who is widely recognized as one of the best power hitters of all time. That was the one to like finally surpass him in, in the 1920s. Yo, yeah, Rob, I'm, I'm going to ask you. I'm going to ask you this one because you, you're typically the one that does this. Did Joe Morgan ever cross your mind? Uh, he, I didn't write him down simply because his numbers with the Giants weren't as strong as some of the other guys. Like, to be honest with you, I didn't, I didn't write down many second basemen. I, I honestly only had Jeff Kent and Hornsby written down and I ended up snagging both of them. Like, li- like I was going to take a second baseman really early simply because I think the, the position, yeah, you can move some other guys out of position and put them at second. But in terms of guys who were primary second baseman, I think those were your, your like easily your top two choices. Yeah, second base was the most names that I had written down for a position because I wrote down Hornsby and Kent for the stats. Also, Frankie Fritch. Um, but just from the history, I know the Giants, I also wrote down Larry Doyle. But then one of my favorites, Marco Scudero, uh, Robbie Thompson, and then there was um, – why am I blanking on his name? But I had seven guys written down for second base. And that, to me, was the deepest position as a fan favorite, which – oh, Chris Spires was the other second baseman. For some reason, Chris Spires sticks out to me as like one of the all-time giants. And when I looked at his stats, he just was terrible. And I couldn't bring myself <laughs> to drafting him. Although I can with Nate Scherholz because I followed his career way too closely and I called his trade. Oh, man. All right, man. Look, I think that's a good place to leave it here, guys. Yo, Murphy, yo, thanks for coming on, man. Do another one of these drafts with us. Oh, of course, man. I, I enjoy it, especially, you know, I, I enjoy looking at my old team that I used to follow so closely. Let's say that. Yeah, I, th- I think the one good thing about these episodes is definitely bring some of the nostalgia back for, for the fans who are doing these. Uh, you know what I mean? I've, I've caught myself looking like, oh my God, I completely forgot he even played for that team for that half a season. Milky and Cabrera? Like that. Milky, Milky Cabrera. Cabrera. <laughs> Yo, yeah. Yeah, the, the milkman. Um, so yeah, no, man. Look, but thank you for being on. Yo, Rob, Nick, thank you guys again. Yo, Dude, watch out for plumbing to- when this episode goes up, though. Because those oh, yeah. comments are coming in hot. If you want, if you want to see a good old uh, Twitter fingers fight, you should probably uh, come on to SAW and find us on Facebook. I'm sure uh, Fleming and Murphy are gonna go at it about Chipper Jones, Barry Bonds uh, pretty soon. That's, so that's gonna be good. Yeah, man. Yo, so yeah, guys, look, find us on Facebook like we just said, SAW. You know, find us on our website, TSAW. We got articles that are about to get up there. We're fully launching this. You know, what I mean, we have uh, articles by Rob and by Nick and by me. Uh, you know, we have other content out there, uh, basketball, football. We have we have a little bit of everything. You can find us on Instagram at SAW, and you can find us on Twitter at SAW, right? So, you know, thank you guys, and we'll catch you guys next time. Yo, peace out. <laughs>